0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie.
1: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the
0: past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is More Than Amused podcast, and my name is Sadie, and I'm Stoney. I'm very excited because we get to talk about another
1: ignored female artist. Yes, forgotten, ignored. I
0: don't know both. Both <laughs> work. I like ignored though. Yeah,
1: I like. I feel like the alliteration of forgotten female just sounds great.
0: It rolls off the tongue quite nicely yes we're
1: talking about today she actually was very famous in her lifetime but then forgotten in her death which is a repeating pattern yes i was just gonna
0: say i feel like most of the the women were like oh they actually got tons of recognition and then nobody cared afterwards
1: yeah which is so weird i don't know who's in charge of like keeping the records updated after people die but they're doing a horrible job (laughs) well today we're talking about rock and roll which i love because i don't think we've done that yet i don't think so
0: we've done disco we've done like riot girl like we've definitely talked about music scenes but yeah you're right i don't think we've actually done rock and roll yet
1: cool well i'm excited to start off i was gonna dive into the history of rock and roll but apparently it's very hard to exactly quantify where rock and roll came from oh cool okay (laughs) yeah so of course it originated from the blues Mm. Which makes sense because the blues were very distinctly different from what was happening in like the American music scene. And then it like mixed with like the upbeatness of jazz music and a lot of like the improvisation of like musical instruments from jazz. And then you have Boogie Woogie, which (laughs) sounds like a joke, but it was a whole movement of music as well. In the early 1900s and then you have boogie woogie which mixed with jump blues which was an upbeat version of the blues so just not as sad and then that mixed into rhythm and blues or Mm r&b which is still around today obviously and then then there was also another kind of music called rockabilly oh yeah Mm -hmm. and that mixed with gospel music kind of created the whole like holy rollers of gospel music and then rockabilly. So then you have rock and roll. So kind of like this huge history of where no one can clearly say when rock and roll really originated, but the phrase rocking and rolling started being used as early as the 20th century to describe like spiritual fever and a sexual analogy which is very funny that it had two oh. very different meanings <laughs> yeah true <laughs> and then it became used more frequently over and over again until the billboard record review of sister rosetta tharp's vocals on the upbeat blue song rock me was known and re- like written as a rock and roll spiritual singing and oh. that's what we get to talk about today. We get to talk about Sister Rosetta Tharp. There we go. Yeah, which I'm excited about because I've heard her name thrown around a lot lately. And I feel like it's one, like I knew she was significant to the rock and roll movement. She is coined as like the godmother of rock and roll. Oh, she love it. very well may be the creator of, <laughs> of rock and roll. But which like is said, significant. Yes. But Like I said, it's, it's kind of hard to like who actually created rock and roll because it was so like influenced by so many different things. I don't know. Like I kind of went back and forth as I was researching on whether or not we could list her as like the actual creator of rock and roll or whether or not she's just like a groundbreaking pioneer and influencer Mm. of rock and roll. But one of the like key features that I feel like really pulls it together is Chuck Berry is listed on Google as the creator of rock and roll and oh. if they're gonna list a man that came after her and was influenced by her as the inventor then it kind of leaves me in the same Hilma off Clint situation where I'm like nope she yeah. was the creator of the movement
0: <laughs> <laughs> like he might have popularized it in some way but does it exist actually without her probably yeah. not and when you listen to her music you can definitely tell like the
1: rock and roll influences well but I guess the rock and roll invention of it all. I love this quote that I'm going to start with about Sister Rosetta Tharp that said she could outplay Chuck, she could outsing Aretha, and she influenced everyone from Elvis to Rod.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I love that. And it's very, very true. So we'll talk about her. And then there's going to be history sprinkled in. She lived during a very, very influential time in the United States. So Rosetta Tharp was born on March 20th, 1915 as Rosetta Newbin in Cotton Plant, Arkansas to Katie Bell Newbin and Willis Atkins, who were cotton pickers. Her birth name is believed to have been Rosather Atkins or Atkinson, with her mother's name actually being like Katie Harper. But... There's not a lot known about like her father or like her early, very, very early years because all they really know about her father is that he was a singer and he played guitar and harmonica. That's it. But her mother, we know a little bit more about her. Obviously, she was a more dominant presence in Rosetta's life. She was basically raised her as a single. She was a singer and a mandolin and piano player, as well as a deaconess, missionary, and a woman speaker for a new church congregation that was forming in the area called the Church of God in Christ, or it was shortened to Kojic. I think I'm saying that right. Kojic was a completely Black church, which was considered extremely important during that time to because they weren't allowed to congregate with white Christians they started to form their own gospel scene and it was considered Pentecostal. One thing that's really expressed in Pentecostal music, I mean, is the music. (laughs) They really wanted rhythmic musical expression. That's where like shouting and dancing and praise comes Mm. in. The women were like a major part of singing and teaching and like preaching in church. think like speaking in tongues, like praising out loud, like gospel singing and dancing, like all of that, like, that was the Pentecostal religion. And this was kind of the formation of that. With her mother being such like an important part of the church, Rosetta was singing and playing the guitar as early as age four. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And then became known as little Rosetta Nubin by age six and cited as a musical prodigy, which I think is very, very fair given the fact that, yeah, she was singing and playing guitar by four That's crazy. (laughs) I think a lot of the times we don't talk about the fact that regardless of whether or not you're religious, like church is such an incredible thing. Like for a young kid to be able to be singing and playing instruments
0: in front of that big of a congregation at that young of an age. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I feel like it's so common. Yeah, exactly. For that to be where so many like of the greats learn is because they start so, so young in church that it's almost like. They get their 10,000 hours in or, you know, whatever it needs to be so young because they had so much practice in church choirs or, you know, things like that.
1: So when she was six in 1921, she joined her mother as a regular performer in a traveling evangelical troupe. Like another thing that most six-year-olds do not grow up doing. Yeah. She was billed as a singing and guitar playing miracle and accompanied her mother in performances that were part sermon, part gospel concert all across the American South. Yeah. So like definitely a headliner for the whole thing. At this point, however, something scandalous happened. The church, the Pentecostal religion at that time. I don't know if they still do, but they did at that time. They had really, really strict rules, especially for their female members. You weren't allowed to wear makeup, no jewelry, no public dancing, unless it was in church, I guess. I don't know how that works. No booze, gambling, sex outside of marriage, et cetera. You know, like all the traditional rules, but they just expected their women to appear like a very pure at all times. Mm. And they found out that little Rosetta had been conceived and born out of wedlock and that her mother was actually never married at any point. So when they found out that she was raising this young girl alone, they shunned them from the congregation.
0: That's crazy though because it's like they already knew them. Like it's not like anything changed about what they already knew them as. So that's what's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah.
1: And it's sad to think that like, I don't know. She could have lied and been like, oh, he died. And then it would be okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just kind of weird. But yeah, at this time, though, there was a lot of, like, really horrible things that were happening in the South. Obviously, it was, like, the early 1900s. It wasn't, like, the best time to be there. When the soldiers were returning from World War One, the white supremacists from the South started to take place in these... It's absolutely ridiculous, these racial riots. And it's coined as Red Summer, but it was basically these just attacks on all of the Black Americans that had fought in the war, which makes it even worse because they're like fought for their country and then they come back and get attacked in their own homes. Like there's no safe space mm-hmm. here. Definitely not. And some of the highest number of fatalities were occurring around Arkansas in the rural areas. It's estimated that 100 to 240 Black Americans and five white Americans were killed during the Elaine massacre, which took place in 1919. So it was kind of a really horrible time to be in Arkansas and be a Black American. And with being shunned from their church, and also we talked about this in a very early episode, Augusta Savage, the yeah. Great Migration, where after World War I, all of these Black Americans from the South started heading up towards the North, hoping for a better life, less racism, maybe more chances. And so Katie and Rosetta joined the throngs of all the Black Americans heading up and ended up settling in Chicago. Which, to be fair, wasn't that much safer <laughs> when you think about it at the time. So now it's like the mid-1920s. And oh, yeah. the prohibition is in full force with speakeasies being all the rage and people going down mm. into their basements to brew and drink their alcohol. And gangs, of course, in Chicago in the 1920s. Full force. Yeah. It was like Italians versus the Irish or something. But like, just lots of stuff going on however show business was a really big deal so it wasn't a horrible place to be as a gospel singer they settled in chicago illinois and they went to the kojic church it was called robert's temple but it was also referred to as the 40th street church and of course like i don't know how they allowed them to get away with what they didn't allow them to get away with in arkansas with her being an unmarried woman But Mm -hmm. they were allowed to join there and kind of join in with the gospel music scene there. They developed a lot of fame together, especially with Rosetta being known as a musical prodigy. She would actually sit atop a piano. And Mm. while the person was playing the piano, she would strum her guitar and sing, which sounds very cute to imagine the little six-year-old sitting on the piano like (laughs) playing guitar and singing. Also because Black female guitarists were extremely rare. I'd say like female guitarists in general. The church actually would collect money from the performances and give them to Rosetta and Mabel. But Rosetta is the one who wanted to really branch out, and her mother saw it as an opportunity to bring gospel music to the secular people. Mm-hmm. So she became like her manager or her momager. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and started booking different venues. She only sang gospel music so that it was still allowed within the Pentecostal religion, but they would travel what was known at that time as the gospel circuit, Mm. which is this whole route that gospel performers would travel across the country. And she learned during this time to also like loudly project her voice because they didn't have crazy sound system. So she developed that and then also really began developing her distinct guitar and vocal style. This is like the coolest thing. So there was a time before like people would play individual picking notes on guitars while they were playing. Mm -hmm. And like at that time, songs mostly consisted of chords, especially gospel songs. But she considered like the space in between the lyrics to be dead space. And so she started playing like individual picking notes with her guitar
0: which Mm. basically
1: is like a guitar solo kind of right or like just melodies like adding more interest into the song beyond just the chords and the lyrics yeah and people would say that she was making her guitar talk and even ended up comparing it to like the gift of tongues like inspiring her to speak Through her guitar. Yeah. It's just
0: original guitar solo.
1: Yeah. It just blows my mind because it's crazy to think about a time period when that wasn't normal for. Yeah. Yeah. For songs. In 1934, she was only 19. And while they were on their little traveling circuit, she met a man named Thomas Thorpe, who was a Kojic preacher and they got married. There were rumors that he was cheating on and abusing her. And also was probably really jealous of her. Mm. She ended up settling at the Miami Temple, which was this major performance area for a while, because not only did they have these like huge performances, they also broadcasted the performances on white radio. And that was a really big deal because if you could grow your base of gospel music listeners beyond like the Black gospel audience, then you had a chance of actually like making more money off of it. Like breaking out into like a different sphere because it was all very segregated. So that was a huge deal. And after she started gaining a lot of confidence that her performances catered to more than just the Black gospel crowd, that like there were actually people out there listening from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It was believed that her husband was really jealous of her and that that caused more issues. So she felt that this time it was, you know, it was time to move on. Only four years later, after their marriage, she moved with her mother to New York City. However, at this time, that's when she created her stage name and created a version of her husband's surname. So he was Thomas Thorpe. She created her stage name, Sister Rosetta Tharp.
0: And she performed Mm. that way for
1: the rest of her life. So that's kind of where the birth of that came from. Once she was arriving in New York City, she took a spot at this New York City nightclub that has got to be one of the most racist (laughs) venues I've ever heard of in my entire life. Like absolutely horrible. So it was called the Cotton Club, which Ah. yeah, the name alone kind of gives you an idea. Yeah. But they didn't allow black audience members or black patrons. However, they allowed black performers and Mm. the stage was a replica of a plantation to just really lean into the racism. On top of having a slave quarters in the nightclub. I don't know the function of it, but
0: yeah, just so like almost like romanticizing the good old days of slavery. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't mean that, but <laughs> I know, but that's what they kind of took it as, which is
1: horrible. However, it was a really big opportunity for a lot of Black performers to get in with that like exclusive white audience. And mm. it also had a radio wire that broadcast across the nation and internationally. Wow. So if you could get that spot, it was a really big deal. And so a lot of people did it anyway, which I'm sure it was extremely uncomfortable. But they even, like, the club was known for having, like, celebrity nights on Sundays and featuring, like, Judy Garland, Langston Hughes. Wow. um, Yeah, George Gershwin. You know, like, really important names. And so people would go and they would perform, even though I'm sure it was extremely awkward
0: and uncomfortable. I'm just like, man. I know. I don't know. know, The fact that, like... That was such a popular thing if like all these like famous icons are going. It's like, ah, just what another fun mark on American history that we get to be so proud of or so unproud of, obviously.
1: And it sounds like it had a ton of black performers, too. They really capitalized on the whole like the nuances of it all, which is just horrible. So when she first showed up in New York, they signed her for two weeks as an opening act to another performer. But Just after a few performances with her unique sound, um, she shouted her vocals still as if she was in a church congregation. The audience began to call her like the swinger of spirituals, the hymn swinging evangelist. Mm -hmm. And she was a hit. They made her a headliner at the club.
0: Oh, cool. Well, I mean, uh, I'm like, oh, awesome. (laughs) At the racist club. Great. But it was a
1: big deal. I mean, if it ended up serving
0: her, that's, I guess. Yeah,
1: Um, it did because shortly after, at age 23 on October 31st, 1938, she ended up getting a recording deal, which we can't appreciate. She got backed by Decca Records and recorded for the first time with Lucky Melinda's Jazz Orchestra. And this is where her famous song, Rock Me, came in, as well as That's All, My Man and I, and The Lonesome Road. Rock Me especially was like an overnight sensation, instant hit, It was one of the first commercially successful gospel recording songs. Wow. Her, the first commercial successful gospel recording artist. Yes. (laughs) That five times fast. And Rock Me specifically would go on to influence Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, as well as like millions of others, I'm sure. Music critic Mari oren described mm-hmm. tharps rock me as its sister rosetta tharp for the rock and roll spiritual singing it was a very very popular song also something that's really cool is that it started a trend for tharp and she recorded both traditional numbers and up-tempo secular influence tunes so that she had like a more gospel sounding song and a more like rock and roll song for her white audience members <laughs> which i love <laughs> Then she ended up signing a 10-year contract with Millinder, and it kind of caused more backlash. Of course, with the Pentecostal rules, many churchgoers were shocked by her gospel-based lyrics and yet secular-sounding music. It wasn't gospel enough for them. Mm. But the secular audiences loved them. Rock Me was especially considered controversial because... Everyone said it came across as a very sexual love song. Mm. However, Rosetta said it was about Jesus. So... (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, either way. (laughs) But it kind of caused some ostracization from the church group because they didn't appreciate her secular-sounding music. She continued to appear at the Harlem Cotton Club with Cab Holloway, And also at a spirituals to swing concert at Carnegie hall with John Hammond, which is really cool in 1938 and gained a lot of notoriety. She also (laughs) kind of became famous for the fact that she was performing gospel music in nightclub audiences along dancers you know like they're she's in a speakeasy like singing gospel music I'm obsessed yeah that's amazing so even though the audience is there loved it because they're like this is upbeat this is great a lot of conservative religious circles didn't appreciate a woman playing the guitar in a nightclub surrounded by dancers and alcohol and Mm. who knows what else I mean all right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see five years later She was considering her building a strict gospel act, but with like her contracts that she had signed, she was required to perform more worldly material and perform in these nightclub audiences. So even though she was singing her gospel music, she continued to be shunned by a lot of the gospel community. Also a repeating pattern we see all the time. She was complimented many times for the fact that she could play guitar like a man. Mm,
0: Yep, very common.
1: Cause apparently if you can play it well, then you aren't playing it like a woman, but she would demonstrate her skills at guitar battles at the Apollo,
0: uh-huh. which I couldn't find
1: more about, but that sounds wonderful
0: <laughs> and yeah. very
1: cool. Guitar battles, love that. But she also continued recording during World War II, which is crazy because she was only one of two gospel artists to be able to record V-discs for the troops overseas. So she was sending music to the troops overseas And she was only, like, one of two people that was able to do that. Her song, Strange Things Happening Every Day, recorded with Sammy Price, came out in 1944. It showed a lot of her skills as a guitarist, witty lyrics, and delivery, and ended up being the first gospel song to appear on the Billboard magazine Harlem Hit Parade. And it has been called the first rock and roll record. So if she wrote the first rock and roll
0: record, I mean... That's, I mean she's perhaps the inventor of rock and roll. Perhaps. (laughs) I I think we can make that claim.
1: I think so, too. It's so controversial. I read some very mean YouTube comments on her videos where people, mostly men, were saying rock and roll was not created by one individual person. You cannot give this woman the credit. I I mean, mean like,
0: sure, maybe there's a lot of people, but you know what? We can't ignore then that she obviously played a very key role yes i agree a very primary key role <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists so today i'm going to be spotlighting a painter carly wiggers art her bio it says bringing out the pink in life seeking joy in the small things and following jesus's heart for this life and she's an arizona artist i love Her paintings. They are, there's definitely pink in them, but they're so bright. I just, yeah, I just love them. She like definitely has like one set color palette that's used in all of her paintings, and they are just stunning. I don't even like know how it's to describe it. Very colorful, like abstracty shapes, colors. I just absolutely adore them. Like, I feel like if you put this in your living room or your kitchen, I don't, I don't know where you'd put it. Your entryway? I don't know. Wherever you want. It's just, they're beautiful. What's it called again? It's Carly Wiggers Art. C-A-R-L-Y-W-I-G-G-E-R-S-A-R-T. Ah. Ooh, fun. I know. I
1: love that. I'm always so curious how artists come up with like a style,
0: you know? That's what I, yes. I always wonder too. Because like my mom, she's learning how to paint and is having like, fun learning to paint, but, like, every single painting she does is new and different, and she's, like, how do people ever choose one thing to do? Like, this is all just so fun.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. I know, like, it happens in graphic design a lot, but I found it just, like, it formed very naturally, so I wonder if it happens Mm. the same way, where I just find myself using, like, the same kind of, like, influences on stuff over and over Yeah. but I feel like with painting, you can see it so much more clearly. Clearly, absolutely. It's just so fascinating. I agree. I love how bright they are though. That's amazing. Um, we have one. She's from Australia. Her handle is Jo T I L K E R Teichler, underscore art. And they're beautiful. Um I don't know if they're I think they're paintings. They're kind of like still lives, but like quirky ones.
0: Oh yeah. And they're big. Holy cow. Ooh. Just Again, bright, someone with a happy. very set art style.
1: I know. Like every single one of them has either tile or a striped or grid table tablecloth. Uh-huh. And then there's like a bottle of something, like little glasses. Yeah. Some fruit, some flowers.
0: Now I'm like, we need a painter to come on and talk about how they decided their style. I know. Because I'm I'm thinking about it in my own like art, like my own like music. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to like write a folk song or do this when in reality, like I have no like, that's just never going to be something I do. But like. I mean, sometimes I'm like, but why not? It'd be fun. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess it's probably the same like impulses with every other medium of art. So I don't know.
1: You'd assume. I don't know. I don't know how it works either. Yeah. Fascinating. Her commissions are closed, but I think she does have work available on her website. Let's look. Yes. Original works and prints. I love it. love it so much. So bright. So beautiful. That would be like a fun, like I feel like this belongs in a kitchen.
0: Yes, that's what I was thinking. Like right next to your like kitchen window.
1: Well, check them out and feel free to send us any artists that you feel like we should spotlight and talk about on here. We're always looking for more people. All
0: right, now back to the show.
1: She continued to tour and at this time she saw a performer known as Marie Knight perform at a Mahalia Jackson concert in New York in 1946. Tharp said that she saw a special talent in Knight and called it musical love at first sight. And perhaps it might've been more. Two weeks later, Tharp showed up at Knight's doorstep invited her to go on the road with her. And they toured the gospel circuit together, recording hits such as Up Above My Head and Gospel Train. So this leads to some more gossip. Apparently some articles say it was dismissed by both artists as gossip. A few others say that it was a very open secret (laughs) that Mm. Tharp and Knight were in a romantic relationship together. So I don't know, but you can pretty much assume that they were. (laughs) It was funny because everything was like, all of the artists just missed these claims. So it was just gossip. But Then everyone else is like, no, it was pretty much a known fact that they were like totally (laughs) together
0: like gossip
1: but (laughs) yeah sadly though three years later their popularity started taking a downturn Mahalia Jackson was just eclipsing Tharp in popularity Marie Knight really wanted to like break free and do like her own solo act kind of thing into popular Mm. music also a tragedy happened Um, Marie Knight ended up losing her children from a former marriage and her mother in a house fire
0: which oh my god. absolutely
1: horrible I think she found out while she was on tour and so she had to turn around and go back home obviously
0: oh my so, god, yeah
1: I can't even imagine like the tragedy that that would cause so obviously a horrific end to the duo and so Tharp ended up returning back to Richmond Virginia by herself She put a concert on at a place that is now known as Altria Theater to commemorate her first anniversary of owning a home in Virginia, which is a very big deal. Throughout her lifetime, she actually owned two homes. So it shows you she was doing pretty well. Not very many people can afford two. Definitely
0: not. (laughs) Especially right now. I was going (laughs) to say, this economy especially yes
1: at the concert that she performed there in virginia she had backup singers called the twilight singers and she ended up adopting them as her background singers for future concerts renaming them the rosettes Cute. out
0: after yes. you know
1: rosetta this is when one of the craziest pr stunts ever got thought up her managers <laughs> approached her in 1950 and had this idea they're like let's revive your career we'll throw a huge performance at griffith stadium which had been used for like sporting events and large spiritual revivals because she wasn't an evangelist. She couldn't lead the revival. I don't know what the qualifications for that were like her mother, like we talked about was an evangelist. I don't know exactly what you had to do, but she didn't have those qualifications. So she couldn't lead a revival. She could however, throw a big spiritual concert. Her managers decided out of nowhere that they were like, Oh, let's do a concert and a wedding and gave her a year to go find a husband (laughs) to marry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at this like huge thing. She ended up marrying one of her managers, I believe. Like one account said he was her manager. One other account said that she he was just a random guy. I don't know if they really had anything in common or even liked each other, but he was willing to marry her at this huge public event. So I guess <laughs> match made in heaven. I, know.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's true. If you find someone who's willing to do that, like, all right, that's, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's the perfect guy for you or man exactly. for you.
1: So this was her third marriage. You'll notice I didn't bring up her second husband. It's because I couldn't find out anything about him. Oh, um, nice. At all. But he was there at some point. So this is her third marriage and 25,000 paying customers appeared at this event. 25,000.
0: So I guess the PRs don't work.
1: Oh, yeah. It's also very notable because during this time in, I think it was Washington, D.C. where Griffith Stadium is, there was a mass transit strike. So like no buses, no taxis, nothing were running. So you had to walk or bike or drive yourself, I guess, everywhere. Okay. (laughs) And there was also a huge major league baseball tournament happening across town. And she still got 25,000 people to show up. Everyone knew that it was like the wedding was pretty much a sham. And the preacher even ended up cracking jokes about Morrison not being able to afford the ring
0: which mm-hmm. I guess whatever
1: you know some comedy before your concert and then right after they were pronounced man and wife she in her wedding dress strapped on her custom white electric guitar and played a concert for everybody of gospel music and everything which I would love to go and see talk about time travel let's go back watch, and her watch play. this show yeah a concert in her wedding dress with her custom white electric guitar love I it I mean
0: imagining marrying like Imagine marrying the love of your life in a stadium full of twenty five thousand people. Now imagine marrying like a stranger. <laughs> yeah, like that's insanity. I oh, know, absolutely crazy.
1: Uh, it reminds me of. Have you seen the new J Lo romantic comedy on Peacock called like "Marry Me"?
0: Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I yeah. haven't actually seen it, but yes, it's very cheesy
1: that's that is
0: what I've heard yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it wasn't my favorite however the premise of that is that like this pop star was gonna marry her like rapper boyfriend in front of all of her fans and all of his fans at a huge concert and then she found oh. out he was cheating on her right before so very much so this
0: I guess but without the Dang, ending now of I, <laughs> now I kind of actually want to go watch it <laughs> yeah when I read that I was like oh it was literally <laughs> what they that plot based
1: this movie on yeah So this is a fun fact. Although it's widely believed that the first major stadium concert was the Beatles in 1964 at Shea Stadium, or that the first female stadium performer is Janis Joplin, many have argued that Rosetta Tharp deserves the credit for both of these, considering this performance that she pulled off. So, I mean, Janis Joplin would have only been seven at this point. And the Beatles were 14 years away from their landmark performance at Shea Stadium. So even though they definitely had less people than the Beatles performance at Shea, um, it is still 25,000 people.
0: 25,000 people is incredible.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of people. I would call that a major event. Yes. In 1956, she recorded an album with a gospel quartet known as the Harmonizing Four called The Gospel Train, and then ended up booking a month-long tour (laughs) of the U.K., with a British trombonist named Chris Parver. She toured Europe as a part of the Blues and Gospel Caravan um, with a huge cast of people that are just incredible. This was April and May of 1964. They had Muddy Waters, Otis Spann, Ransom Knolling, Little Willie Smith, Reverend Gary Davis, Cousin Joe, Sonny Terry, and Brownie McGee. She was introduced on stage and accompanied by Cousin Joe Pleasant. And then they even ended up having a concert in the rain that was recorded by Granada television in a disused railway station in Manchester cool. in May of 1964, which sounds epic. Yeah, like talk just about these say... epic moments like an abandoned railway station in the rain. I'd go to that.
0: Yeah. That's very cool.
1: Yep. Um, it's also really cool because the band were all on one train platform while the audience was seated on the opposite platform. So they had like the train tracks in between them and then they had this beautiful concert. in the rain during this tour she was described as a knockoff elvis which is hilarious when we talk later about how actually we're just about to talk about it now she influenced elvis presley
0: she influenced yeah i was gonna say like the knockoff presley like no 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 she was first like i don't think that's how that
1: works she was 100 percent first Tharp's biographer in 2019 said she influenced elvis presley she influenced johnny cash she influenced little richard when asked about her music and about rock and roll tharp is reported to have said oh these kids and rock and roll this is just sped up rhythm and blues i've been doing that forever <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah sadly in 1970 she ended up having a stroke and After the stroke, one of her legs ended up being amputated due to complications from her diabetes. She continued to perform, however, until three years later on the eve of a scheduled recording session. Literally, like she worked up until the day she died. She passed away the night before a recording session in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on October 9th, 1973 as the result of another stroke. This part makes me ridiculously angry. She was buried at Northwood Cemetery in Philadelphia in an unmarked grave.
0: What? Because her
1: stupid third husband wouldn't buy her a headstone.
0: It's not like she didn't have the money for it herself. Oh no, she had two houses, a Cadillac. Uh,
1: She was the first musician to have a tour bus, the first to sell at a stadium and obviously had enough money for a headstone. He ended up even, I say, stealing. I guess that technically belonged to him, but he sold some of her guitars and like her fur coats. Yeah, for money after she died. Cause, and then didn't even give her a headstone.
0: Annoying. Yeah, I don't like, I don't like him. At yeah. first, I was like, you know, maybe he's fine because of what he did. Nope. No, no. Nope. No, no, no.
1: Not at all. He probably married her for the money. She, would remain in that unmarked grave for 25 years because of this crappy husband until 2008 when they finally gave her a headstone. I don't know who it was, probably the historical foundation. I don't know who does that, but they ended up putting a quote on her headstone that said she would sing until you cried. And then she would sing until you danced for joy. She kept Mm. the church alive and the saints rejoicing. I love that. I love. So she did end up getting her headstone, but
0: well, that's good. Yeah.
1: Just absolutely ridiculous like no with all of her fortune not even
0: gonna give her a rock
1: with her name on it
0: also like sir i'm sure she's the reason why you now have a lot of access to things
1: oh that yeah you
0: did not have before so let's definitely yeah yeah
1: crappy man of the year award she like i said is just ridiculously influential so even though we finished showing about her life we're gonna talk about a lot of the influences that she ended up playing on the future of music. Tharp's guitar style blended melody-driven urban blues with traditional folk arrangements and incorporated a pulsating swing that was the precursor of rock and roll. That's what I said, the precursor of rock and roll. I don't know. Without
0: her, rock and roll wouldn't
1: exist then. When you have to describe someone's style as blending together three different other styles, blues, folk, and swing, isn't that pretty much creating a new style?
0: Yeah, are like and then it was the like pre so she was basically doing rock and roll before it was called rock and roll. Yeah. So, I mean, did yeah. she did it. creator <laughs> of rock and roll.
1: A national public radio article even commented in 2017 that rock and roll was bred between the church and the nightclubs in the soul of a queer black woman in the 1940s named Sister Rosetta Tharp. Well, there we so, go. Obviously, you know, like. She is the one that we should credit with this. It's kind of interesting what happened though. So Billboard Music, which we all know of and is still around today, they actually started out by tracking what songs were doing well in the 1940s. And then they would post the songs that were purchased the most, played the most in jukeboxes or requested by DJs every week in record chops. Every mm. week they would like put up a new, this is what the top hits are on a billboard, which makes sense because they're called billboard
0: music. Oh, um, <laughs> well, <you know.
1: laughs> yeah. It's also kind of crazy to think of a time before billboard music existed. I don't know why yeah. I've never thought about that, but
0: no, I, I agree. Yeah. However,
1: there was only three categories of music at that time that like billboard deemed worthy of tracking. I don't know. And it was pop music <laughs> and then there was country Western and then also R and B. Then, Billboard assumed, like the rest of the country, that music was also racist, and so they would only classify R&B songs by songs that were doing well in predominantly black communities, which is so harmful because I still feel like that's what the Grammys do. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say there was actually a group called the Ink Spots of Black Americans, and they had fourteen songs hit the top of the Billboard charts. And it got to this point where like a billboard had to assume, based on the statistics, that white people weren't just listening, that they absolutely were obsessed with the ink spots. And that's why they were hitting so high on the charts. Mm-hmm. And then a producer went, huh? I bet we could make a lot of money if we found a white guy to play black music. And hence and Elvis Presley. That's Elvis Presley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's literally been called that so many times. Like, He was a white guy who could sing like a black man, you know, like that's literally, that's where Elvis Presley came from. Little Richard, also known as like a founding member of rock and roll, referred to the stomping, shouting gospel music performer as his favorite singer. And that's not Elvis Presley, sorry. He referred to Rosetta Tharp as his Mm -hmm. favorite singer when he was a child. In 1947, she actually heard him singing before her concert at a Macon City auditorium. And then invited him on stage to sing with her. It was his first wow. public performance. He She paid him for the performance, which is incredible. Pays this little child that she invited up on stage. Yeah. And then it inspired him to become a performer. Dang. I kind of went off cue there for a minute. But Elvis also listed Sister Rosetta Tharp as one of his main influences. He said that her incredible guitar style is what really attracted him to her. And he liked her singing, but he liked her pick and verse because it was so different. Like she just had this really, really unique guitar style. And I feel like that's definitely seen in Elvis's music as well. When Johnny Cash gave his induction speech at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he referred to Rosetta Tharp as his favorite singer when he was a child. His daughter, Roseanne Cash, stated in an interview with Larry King that Tharp was her father's favorite singer. And she began recording with an electric guitar in the 1940s. And the song That's All was in... It was a major influence on Chuck Berry, who's known as a major influence of rock and roll, as well as Elvis. Other musicians, including Aretha Franklin, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Isaac Hayes, have identified her singing, guitar playing, and showmanship as an important influence on them. Of course, a bunch of UK singers also from her tour that took place in the UK have cited her as a major influence, including George Melly, Tina Turner, Mahalia Jackson, obviously. (laughs) Uh, then you have other performers like Meatloaf, Neil Sudeikah, and Karen Carpenter even. Karen Carpenter, like we talked about, she was a drummer. And so a lot of like her rhythmic energy and like a lot of her drum fills that she came up with are very reminiscent of Tharp's melodies and rhythms that she had in her songs. So just kind of everywhere, according to Cleveland got. .com, Tharp plugged into an electrical guitar in the late 1930s and became a rock star before men considered the pioneers of rock and roll had dreamt of doing so. She's the godmother of rock and roll who influenced every musician traditionally identified with helping launch the genre during the 1950s.
0: Obviously, a lot
1: of like resurgence has happened lately. More interest in her work, There's it's led to like a biography, NPR segments, scholarly articles, and honors, The United States Postal Service issued a stamp for her to honor her on July 15th, 1998. Um, She was post-humorously inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. And oh, here's where they got the money for her grave. I didn't find this before. They held a concert and raised funds for a marker for her grave. They have a Sister Rosetta Tharp Day in Pennsylvania where her grave is in place. And then they also have a historical marker in her home in the Yorktown neighborhood of Philadelphia as well. BBC had a one-hour documentary about her. They've shown it multiple times. They also did a 100th year birthday tribute for her and The Guardian. And there's even a musical play called Marie and Rosetta based on the relationship between Tharp and Marie Knight that opened at the Atlantic Theater Company in New York in 2016. Finally, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame got on board. <laughs> it took them forever yeah (laughs) Uh, literally 45 years after her death uh, the rock and roll hall of fame obviously has its own problems apparently it's only awarded eight percent of its awards to women and less than a third of the awardees within the rock and roll hall of fame are people of color which when we talked about the origins of rock and roll coming from all of these different like jazz blues like predominantly black created music it's ridiculous that they don't have more black musicians in the Mm -hmm. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But finally, on October 5th, 2017, she was listed as a nominee. And then on December 13th, 2017, she was elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence. In 2017, National Public Radio wrote about her. She was a gospel singer at heart who became a celebrity by forging a new path musically through her unforgettable voice and gospel swing crossover style. Tharp influenced a generation of musicians, including Aretha Franklin, Chuck Berry, and countless others. She was and is an unmatched artist.
0: I love that. And that's Sister Rosetta Tharp. Now I'm going to go listen to her music. I feel oh, like I you don't have to. Yeah, I can't immediately think of it. And so I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing tonight.
1: Yes. One of her songs was in. Have you seen the new Agatha Christie film, Death on the Nile? Oh, no, I don't think
0: so. Ha, did
1: you watch Murder on the Orient Express? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is the second one. Like, yes, it's like the standalone sequel. You don't have to have watched the first one, but they Same had concept. one of her songs actually in the film. Oh, yeah. And it's, okay. it's a really good one. It's the one that Elvis said was his biggest influence. I'm okay. The title of it. And apparently they had a bunch of others too. I didn't even notice that until now that up oh. above my head, I hear music in the air and rock me all within Death on the Nile. Dang. So, so she was awesome. like
0: a main feature on that soundtrack.
1: Yeah. Which is awesome because they actually had a mother and daughter duo in Death on the Nile that are both Black and perform. So it kind oh. of very fitting, right? Yeah. But yeah. That makes sense. Anyway. Yeah. She's just incredible. A lot of other things I saw said that she also probably influenced the Beatles because of like the UK yeah, and everything like that. Like I said, it's just, there's a lot of like hearsay or people like she did this. And then everyone else is like, no, she didn't. How dare you give her credit (laughs) for that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like it's more controversial than a lot of others where like, like when we talked about, um, Helma off Clint, who by far is my favorite artist now, but like how she invented abstract. Heart, yeah but like just couldn't be credited for it because she kept her painting secret for so many years yeah and then it's like no she literally was the first person to have done that but with this like it's kind of hard because with music being such a combined thing like happening at all times and all places across the you know like mm-hmm. widespread radio and everything else that was happening at that time I feel like more people were hearing it yeah people were picking up on stuff than ever before totally So I don't know if you could ever like definitely say that one person created a music movement just because of the nature of music because everyone's like
0: being constantly influenced from everything around them but like you can't deny that it was a yeah that there was nothing no agreed and like I said how do you take someone's
1: style that you describe in three different styles and not say like oh like it's something new here yeah yeah (laughs) totally so yeah just a really fascinating incredible lady that I'm glad we got to talk about because honestly she's been on the list for a while and I figured we would talk about her but
0: yeah it's about time I love it well I'm glad that we know about her now me too well thank you for teaching me about this amazing artist and singer like I said I'm gonna go listen to her music now so i'm very excited thank you for tuning in everyone we'll be back next week with another episode and of course if you've been here for a while be sure to follow us on our instagram which is more than amuse podcast you can see all the pictures and see all the visuals for what we're talking about and then leave us a rating and review either on spotify apple music whatever you listen on or apple podcasts i guess whatever we whatever it's called anywhere you
1: listen we'd love to have
0: you we'll get a review and we will be back next week yes we will have a great day